today on the Dad Bod Pod, uh, it's an extra special episode. I think we've all been looking forward to all season. Uh, we have an extra special guest who is not even a member of the league, but knows what's going on, uh, has been paying attention, uh, and we're so excited to share uh, today's interview with you. Uh, that's right. Today's special guest is Dr. Brian Wispelway. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, we're here with uh, Jamie, uh, host of the pod. Uh, this is obviously Seth, a friend of the pod. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been living in Charlottesville for 33 years, and I'm on the faculty at the University of Virginia Medical School. Great. Uh, area of focus, specialty? Infectious diseases. And kind of what drew you to that? Was that in medical school, residency? Probably even started in medical school. It's the thinking, so-called thinking field of, of medicine, and it's also <laughs> the lowest paid um, uh, specialty in medicine because we have no procedures. We, uh, we used to joke about that our procedure was going to the library. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and I think, you know, as I recall, you did medical school in North Jersey where I was born, um, and we'll get back to that, but... You and my mom uh, did not anticipate being in Charlottesville as long as you have. They kind of were looking for your specialty that we thought we might end up back in the Northeast, and yet here we are. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I thought when I was uh, going to do the next layer, which is a fellowship in infectious disease, it was either stay in Boston. That was really the only other place I interviewed besides Charlottesville. The unique thing about UVA is it developed one of the top two ID programs in the country. And everybody was always kind of puzzled how that happened. But my mentors at the time said, well, you ought to look at Charlottesville. And the other thing was, based on Boston's cost of living, um, it uh, was more than a little bit expensive. And back in those days, we were making $17,000 and rents were approaching 1000 uh, so you can do the math on that and see what was left over after both taxes and your rent. And that's why all of us, uh, once you were a second year, you got so-called licensed and you could moonlight. Yeah. And so uh, I was on top of the crazy hours because we had no hour regulation in those days. We were all moonlighting. So uh, one of the draws to Charlottesville above and beyond the program was it was going to cost uh, significantly less to live here. So our right. vision was a couple of years we'll be in Charlottesville. <laughs> and I had a job <clears throat> offer immediately to go back to Boston in the Harvard system. But after being here for three years, uh, maybe a couple of more years. And now that has turned into what I said earlier is 33 years. Three young kids. You said several things I want to circle back on uh, related to kind of back in the day, what it was like. So that $17,000 a year, that's when you were a resident, right? Right. And so you're already a doctor and then moonlighting uh, to support a young family. So you're essentially doing double duty. You're doing double the doctoring uh, to make ends. And what was that about no hour limits? So um, the, the whole issue that came up, and uh, if you're on an insider in, in medicine, there was a, a famous book in the late 70s came out titled The House of God. Well, that's where I trained. The House of God was the name for what is the Beth Israel Deaconess system. 
now. Oh, um, that doctor wrote that book specifically about what it was like being a... It was okay. a hang out the dirty laundry book, uh, in a sense. It was the first, you know, prior to that. Like Kitchen Confidential, but for absolutely. the... Okay. Prior, prior to that, any book about medicine was... Uh, I'm dating myself, but it would be things like Dr. Kildare, Everything Was Perfect, you always wore the crisp whites, and no one ever said a bad word or thought a bad thought. And this book got behind the scenes that maybe the uh, insane hours, and we, we averaged about 120 hours a week as an intern. And um, what is not remembered is that we didn't have any days off the first year. You had two one-week vacations, and then the rest of the year you were in the Seven hospital. days a week. Um, so that led to craziness, um, including when I was chief resident, an intern, I got called because he was running the floor naked with a knife. Um, and Another resident was? Intern, like he lost his mind, yeah, basically? Yeah, he lost it, went to the psych hospital. So, uh, so that period, there was no controls, and then progressively Jeez. things began to push that, including an event that happened in New York, which maybe wasn't as... as as bad as what was originally thought, but there was this case called Libby Zion oh, yeah. uh, dying at New York Hospital, and the argument was uh, the intern was not, you know, rested enough, and there was no supervision. Uh, yeah. So there was a dual prong thing that maybe there had to be attending supervision around the clock in the hospital, and maybe hours regulations. Yeah. And there's been a series of changes over the last few years. But now the maximum someone can work in a one-week period is 80 hours. That's a big um, difference. That's a full-time work week yeah. for and, the normals. And most of the time they're not working these long shifts. Like right. We would routinely do 36 straight hours. And then going back to moonlighting, I would do 36 hours and then drive to my moonlighting job, work overnight there, come right back to the other hospital. So it's three right. days in a row that you would grab cat naps uh, to try to function. So, yeah, something had to be done. So you needed some controls, and yet you survived. A lot of doctors survived right. those years, survived, and now are leader, leaders in your fields. And so where's that kind of balance? Is there at the same time, obviously, you don't want people falling out. We want to remain human. But what a, at the same time, there there's a, is there, I mean, a bit of pride in well, it was an West... expectation now that yeah, no, the, was... the newer generations will... How do you hit the, the well, levels? A, it was of a West experience. Point mentality, you know. They, uh -huh. You know the concept of you were beaten and in the trenches, but then you survived the so-called boot camp mentality, um, and 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 came through it. There was also an incredible camaraderie. Some of your best yeah. friends in your life were from that period. Um, but uh, as I said, things things needed to change. But I think what is is clear in the challenging balance is. Medicine is a hard thing to learn yeah. and, and be good at. And uh, there is the so-called Malcolm Gladwell mentality of what does it take to be an expert, 10,000 hours. If you hmm. calculate the hours, it takes a lot longer for current residents to get there in terms of what they've uh, seen. Yeah. So there was an article that was written by a physician at New York Hospital uh, just a couple of years ago. It was in the New York Magazine, New York Times Magazine. And he was discussing the fact that, and he wanted some feedback from other physicians, but he was saying, I'm getting calls now 
from people who have graduated three, four, and five years ago, but continue to call me to run cases by them, mm. which is exactly what I experience now. And so uh, that sense of readiness, that feeling that, okay, I no longer have the net, yeah. the circus analogy under me, I'm gonna just do my trapeze without it. Yeah. And that, uh, that comfort zone takes a little bit longer to attain. Or another way of looking at it, um, the more you know, the more you know, or, or, or in all honesty, the more you see, yeah. then the more you have in your repertoire. So medicine is very much about, particularly certain fields, is very much about recognition, pattern That's recognition. Right. And if you haven't seen the pattern before, you, you can't even get your foot in the door. So mm. that balance remains a tension, and yet yeah. there is just no question that it beat up people, including uh, there were programs in medicine with 80% divorce rates, assuming they were married, and surgical programs with 100% divorce rates back in that era. Because so, the surgery programs are even worse. They, they, they uh, never left the hospital. I think, you know, I, I, this is all very intense and extreme, and it makes me want to pick up the house of God. It reminds me of a couple of anecdotes uh, briefly that you've told. I think the first birth delivery you did, you were a third-year medical student, maybe like first night on the shift almost, kind of got caught in the room by yourself, and there came the baby. Well, and, it was uh, quite, yeah, it wasn't quite as aggressive as that, but the, it showed the difference. I've it exaggerated was, it over the no, years. No, it was, a, it was an inner city uh, hospital, That's which right. also meant um, well, most of the, the women coming in had no prenatal care. Uh, um, and some of them were literally coming in the very first time with their pregnancy at the time that they're in labor. But at night, the only people in the hospital physically were an intern in OBGYN with his third year medical student, and it was usually a him. Uh, that's why I used the male pronoun yeah. uh, back then, but not exclusively. And uh, we were delivering babies, but the, the first several that I, I was involved in, I was always involved with another person, usually the intern. And if it was during the day, even an attending might be around. So you were doing it, you were getting used to it. And then one night, uh, the intern had to go and do a C-section. There he needed, but an attending didn't come in with it. It's a surgical procedure. It was the chief resident came in. So those two were in an OR, and they're going to be doing a surgery on a woman to deliver a baby. He says, the floor's yours. I'm a third year medical student, and uh, there were about six. The seven, first time kind of on the floor. Yeah, and about <laughs> six, seven young women in there that were, you know, without doctors. It was a ward service. But then in came actually a married couple, which was, first of all, a shock for me. And they actually had uh, prenatal care and a private doctor. And, <laughs> and they their doula. They, their... they even knew Lamaze, you know, they knew Lamaze. <laughs> And so we put them in a room, and typical, I mean, the, the student would check them, and I checked her, and saw how far along she was, so to speak. And um, then af after that, uh, called the physician, said, your patient is here, she's about 50% effaced, uh, et cetera. He goes, okay, tell them I'll be there, thanks very much. And it's moving on, I'm checking on some of these other women, I'm waiting for these guys to get out of the OR. 
And the nurse says, yeah, she's moving along pretty fast. You better check her again. She feels like she has to push. I check her again. She's 90 plus. Um, she's looking right. I said, hang in there. Do your breathing. Now the husband's getting a little agitated because he wanted the doc there. And, and this, I actually sometimes use this as an ethical dilemma story with the students as to what would you do now? Because it's so different in the culture. You're 28 years old. Yeah, unfortunately, now, I, had right? a, I had a beard, so I looked older than Stanley. <laughs> and, and so the, um, you know, was, where's the doc? I'm, I said, I'm sure I'll be here. I went to step out to page <laughs> this last guy. Thing you I went to page this guy again. Uh, and um, no answer. I figured he was on the way. And the nurse says, she's ready, come on, you and me. And she had seen me, you know, function. And these inner city nurses were so used to this. And so it was the first, I'm in there, and now the question from the husband, because I said, well, we're going to have to do this. So getting my gloves and... MD stands for makes decisions, (laughs) so you were on the way. So we're there, and he says to me, and he asked me this question. He said, so, are you the chief resident? Which would have put me... Seven years further down the line, <laughs> because they were at least fifth-year uh, yeah. residents, and I was a third-year medical student. And the question I always ask the medical students, what would you say? You know, because we always teach them about you, you tell the truth. But there was no cavalry coming in that situation. Nobody was going to be arriving. So you imagine if I told them I'm a third-year medical student, how freaked out they would be. Right. But the interesting thing that helped me, I was going to just tell them no. <laughs> and, but I looked over, and the nurse is in the corner of my eye, and she looks at me, and she just makes this very vague shake of her head. <laughs> and Meaning, don't go there. And so I just smiled. And uh, we delivered the baby. Everything, fortunately, went well. And then in walked the doctor just as we were finished. And go, oh, you couldn't wait. And I walked out, and I never went back in that room. <laughs> I never found out that I was the third-year medical student. Oh, oh man. man. Um, that, those kinds of things happened yeah. in that era. Um, just like uh, during my residency, I mean, we went through the entire residency and uh, during the nights that would never be an attending. Now right. we have in-house attendings all the time. So what... Um, so it reminds me of another anecdote, and I know UVA Medical School attracts and receives and then builds up some of the best and brightest. It's a top medical school. Uh, but I've also heard anecdotes. You know, this is obviously a couple generations past now, and good protections have been put in place, and yet what do you need to know? And I, I also remember another anecdote and maybe it has to do with parenting in these days and age as well, though it's not just about the program you know, students coming up to you before they get to that third year being like, Dr. Whispleway, what do we, what do we need to know for the upcoming exam? Like, what's going to be on it? And I think your answer being something like, well, you need to know all of it. I'll decide what's on the exam. <laughs> and that kind of mentality, the, and we're going someplace with this, and I want to get Jamie your uh, reactions as well. But last question is, so you got the four years of residency and you elect with a young family at this pay, you know, the eyes, you know, just drinking coffee nonstop, and you elected to do a chief residency. What, why was that? And, then, and kind of what does that mean? Yeah, no, it, uh, you were selected. It's usually in your second year, uh, you get approached by the chairman, program director, and um, and they, they'd say, we would like to offer you the chief residency in, in our, our program. And those you showed days, your worth. Yeah, so that, that and 
obviously was an honor. Uh, it also was one of those golden tickets, so to speak, for those people who wanted to stay and have an academic career. Uh, in other words, it was that other other feather uh, or arrow in your, your quiver, so to speak, for um, when you would be applying both for fellowships and, and jobs and so forth. So um, that, that was the main purpose. The skills you gained were uh, a variety of skills. Uh, one was uh, first time, really, you're administrative. Mm. Um, so you're in charge of the program. You have to do the scheduling of all whatever 75, 80 residents. Um, and a lot of whining starts in about the schedule. <laughs> so you, you have to you have to deal with just those things. You had to schedule all the educational conferences and the speakers and bring them in and invite outside speakers for grand rounds. And then you would be running all of the teaching conferences. So it was a, a major opportunity to sort of test your mettle uh, finally as a as a teacher of sort of multiple gradations, both students oh, okay. and, and residents. So, uh, and then there was even opportunity uh, to jump in and, and gain a little extra research fodder, publish some things, all of which would yeah. build up the so-called CV. I can though remember <clears throat> one quote we would have in, in Boston, they would routinely do this where, uh, ex-chiefs would be invited to oh, wow. basically at the end of the year dinner and you'd get to get insights from people who did it before you yeah. in the past and there was this one one chief from several years before he was a faculty member at the Mass General and he waited sort of to the end and he took the two of us aside there was two of us um, and he said let me give you some advice it's going to sound a little bit uh, weird and harsh he said, uh, "That's what we love on this podcast: weird, harsh advice." Uh, so he, drop he goes, it. He goes, <laughs> he goes. Let me be blunt. He goes, "You have no friends now, uh, as a chief resident, basically because you're caught in the middle. On one side, we were called instructors in medicine, uh, which is the low level back in those days. But he said, you're not really faculty. The faculty don't see that way. They think you're in the house staff camp. The house staff think you're now part of the man, so to speak. Uh, um, and they can't trust you either because you, you know. And so the, all you have is the two of you. And he goes, let me give you advice. People are always going to come to you and whine. It'll be faculty members. It'll be... Uh, complaining usually about the house staff. It'll be house staff uh, complaining yeah. about everything else. And so your job, when they walk in, smile, nod, say, yeah, now I hear you, I understand and everything. And the minute they walk out the door, forget everything they said. <laughs> <laughs> said only if they come back a second time. Mm. Do you do anything about it? Otherwise, <laughs> it'll kill you. <laughs> but the point is, is there's going to be a lot That's of complaining. Helpful. And administratively, you have to know how to wade through what is just whining and what definitely needs attention. I think that's a wonderful segue <laughs> to the fact that, A, that's great advice for a pastor. But I'm also thinking of like a fantasy football commissioner, a podcast host. Jamie, you've been listening to a lot of this and absorbing that. What kind of reflections do you have? No, I'm, I'm mesmerized just hearing like, <laughs> the stories. And then also just knowing from the league and the podcast, Seth's gift of speech, <laughs> seeing, seeing that played out. <laughs> Clearly where that com comes from. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, <laughs> we, uh, you know, what I'm gathering is that, you know, 
from the the good old days, which were also the very hard and dangerous old days, and sometimes those two get conflated, to kind of work yourself up the ranks and then you know get to the status of chief resident, cream of the crop, if you will. Um, that, that took a lot, and you know then you kind of build and grow from there. Um, but obviously the the institution is still moves on. Good doctors are being made and formed. Um, what would it take, you know, for a, a chief resident nowadays to kind of show their, show their medal, show their worth, kind of what levels of commitment? I know there's the hours restrictions, but, um, why would you, what, what what are you, what are you going to experience at UVA? Uh, (laughs) it varies by institution. Now, the other thing that happened because partly because of hours also, you know, there was two of us, so we were on call either every other night or for a week straight. And that meant you could get called every night in the middle of the night as a chief. Now we've progressively increased here at UVA and a lot of other programs have. I was just a visiting professor in Boston and similarly a program that sometimes only had one or two because it was considered elite to be the chief resident at the Brigham uh, uh, now have four, five, six. Um, depending on the size of the program and and the tasks. Here we now have four uh, chief residents, and uh, in the past it was two. So there's a little bit more divide and conquer. Uh, Um, Each one takes on certain tasks. Um, Do you have to know your field or specialty or interest yet? Well, they they come in multiple flavors. the majority, I would say, statistically, if you look who who ends up being a chief resident, the majority of them are going to subspecialize. They're going to go into some fellowship sure. afterwards, and uh, uh, that's been the pattern. Occasionally, though, uh, they remain uh, more of a generalist uh, pattern. But the, the the goal of picking a good chief resident is obviously it has to be someone who who gets along with people, but equally uh, they uh, have to be bright and able to teach and be respected in that way because it's going to be that kind of job where people are going to test you and push you uh, on both sides as as we've said Mm. um the other uh problem now too it's gotten more bogged down with pure administration and less teaching Uh. we've we've tried to enhance that by letting our chiefs do blocks of attending time and be seen uh as as an attending role but uh, uh, it really sometimes feels like they're a little bit lost in the middle um, uh, between what it is to be a resident and an attending. Hmm. That's a lot. So this is where we, I don't know, I, analogies fail me. Let the horse out of the barn, the <laughs> cat out of the hat, lay the cards on the table. Sumner Abraham is of this league, but he also kind of isn't. And we have engineers in this league. We have ethicists. We have data analysts. We have entrepreneurs, guys who started their own business. We got pastors and Nazi fighters and Nazi fighting pastors. And (laughs) we're busy guys. What's fascinating about Sumner is he's a busy guy. He's about to become chief resident at the University of Virginia Hospital. We've heard the standards. Um, We've heard what it takes. Uh, We know it's kind of no mess around time. Uh, He's got drive. He's got grit if he even wants to take it on. And he's not actually playing in the fantasy football league. He's, but he's listening to this podcast. He's reading our messages. 
I have this question for both of you, but Dr. Whispleway, how do you think Sumner makes the time? <laughs> uh, basically, this generation of residents are just total wimps. <laughs> He has I mean, more time than he knows what to do with. That's right. <laughs> the, that's the literal definition of not only fantasy football, but the extra layers of cow manure that we've created to fertilize our fantasy football league. Yes, it's a great outlet, uh, you know, for all that work I just mentioned that we do. Uh, so we can find some positives. Is it a net positive for life? Like, is this an outlet for him? I mean... He's hip deep in it, and I'm Jamie. What you're shaking your head? Well, yeah, I mean, just after all we've heard, after all we've heard about 120 hour weeks, and I'm just thinking of us talking about a fantasy football league, which in itself could be a waste of time. And now we're talking about it on podcast. We're about to interview someone who's not in the league, right. and before we do that, we're pre-interviewing someone about that person right. who's not in the league. So I'm just feeling very intelligent and productive right now. Someone could T-bone my that. car tomorrow, and here I am instead of, you know, playing checkers with my daughter. And, you know. <laughs> same, same. Right, right there with you. And the thing is, is this is not coming from a place of, um, of uh, we're, we're, not, we're not mocking Sumner. I think, I, I'll be honest, I've actually, we're setting this up sort of to, troll you buddy on your special day your special episode uh because i'm actually beyond impressed we are all very busy and somehow you're making times i dare say we're all flattered maybe feel a little icky a little icky cartel because you're you're making us feel like this thing we're doing maybe you're calling our bluff on how ridiculous it is but this is this is mind-blowing. And not only that, he's got the most popular... You know, he, he definitely uh, reinforces the truism that qu quality over, over quantity, quantity uh, Dad, uh, for what it's worth, I, I think I'm the faraway victor in terms of the messages on the text chain. Um, Sumner has posted three times and like the whole <laughs> league's liked him. So we're, we're kind of like middle school girls that way, uh, judging each other's comments and by popularity by popularity um so i don't know where uh, i want to be sensitive to our time and our listeners time um do you have any advice for the incoming chief resident uh as he carries this mantle well i gave some uh, should he try to join the league next year that's one of the questions i, I, I think everybody needs an outlet Everybody uh, needs friends. Everybody needs to get out of the hospital. You wouldn't give that advice that you got? Oh, meaning no friends at the hospital. Yeah, well, like I said, you need your core group. And many times it's really good if you have these relationships outside because uh, I think sometimes being so immersed in the day-to-day -day and not mm. being able to... Sometimes we make this statement also, those, who should you marry in, in medicine? Should you marry a woman who really is internal in the healthcare system and many times you'll see people marrying other doctors or in the past uh, yeah. currently because they get versus, it yeah they sort of get it versus marrying somebody who has no clue about it 
and whatever. And I, I use the analogy like when I would come home after a tough day and in the early days of AIDS, everybody was dying. And you sometimes have shovel That's bets. Right. And you'd come home and I'd walk in the door and had three small children who had no understanding about medicine whatsoever. And you'd go in the backyard and throw a ball. So I think the reality is having those things that pull you out are essential. They're yeah. essential in any career. Some, but but I think uh, that to me is what's so great about these kinds kinds of things. This is the dad bods league. Uh, not all of us are dads uh, are are married, but there's that shared yet yeah, outlet. Um, and I certainly appreciate more than I did when I was a child uh, the outlets you and mom must have needed even if you didn't get them i remember you actually just like closing your eyes and putting the headphones on and we'd be running around just pretending not there and knowing not to bother bother you but i you know i'm actually gonna again take sumner's engagement here as a form of flattery then and at the same time say you're welcome uh sumner for all we're giving you Uh, (laughs) we are new york giants fans you know so i was born in north jersey where you are from Dr. Whispleway. And uh, uh, I was going to ask you this question because uh, we kind of asked this of a lot of our listeners. What was the pathway? Why are we Giants and Yankees fans? And, and then I realized, you know what? There were no Jets and Mets until right. uh, maybe you were like even 10 years well, old. there's a little background there. Back when my father was... I mean, I hate them anyway, so. but... <laughs> uh, so you're right about football. It was the Giants. So the, That's right. the New York area were Frank Giants Gifford. fans. Uh, but the, the baseball thing was there were three teams. Oh, right. uh, there was the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Giants That's right. in New York. And uh, in the 50s, the Giants and the Dodgers left. And those people that were rabid Dodgers fans hated the Yankees and vice yeah. versa. And um, they couldn't uh, become Yankees fans. And it was uh, in the early 60s when then the National League uh, franchise got the Mets. That's right. So the Dodgers fans were the base and and some of the Giants fans uh, were the base uh, to become Mets fans. Uh, uh, that's what they inherited. And the Yankees fans were always obviously the core Yankees. How that happened was basically it was the same thing. It, it was what your parents generally were. My father was a rabid Yankee fan, so what else was I going to be? And we were rabid um, uh, Giants fans, and it maintained. Uh, sure. Well, um, to close out this, because this is like kind of the bonus surprise interview, uh, teeing up Sumner Abraham, um, the New York Giants in real life, we still do enjoy watching them on a two-game winning streak at the time of this recording, can technically still finish nine and seven. You know, yeah, is this Eli's last hurrah? He works the best under pressure. He's only worked best under pressure, which is those two miracle Super Bowl ones. I found out the other day that Eli Manning has zero playoff wins except for the two Super Bowl runs. To me, that that draws Canton into doubt. Uh, that was some insightful Monday Night Football analysis, right? I stole that. Jason, from Jason Witten. J- the only insightful football analysis, Jason Hunter, Witten. McFarland. As we've been joking about. Jason Witten has early CTE, though. That's exact, so that's exactly <laughs> it. No one misses John Gruden, but Jason Witten, if you, especially when they cut to him in the booth in person, every sentence he starts, halfway through, he doesn't know where he's finishing it. Yeah. And then it just becomes word salad. Um, but my you know, last question, and 
than to toss to Jamie. Um, where are the Giants going to finish this year? And if it's not with a winning record, and what's the kind of quarterback play? What's what's the issue? Eli's had dancing feet for several years. He can't stay in the pocket, but he can't run out of it either. So I think that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's right because he's the same year as Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is still slinging, and yeah. yeah. No, I I I think um, he's had two good games, uh, but I'm I'm not overly hopeful because no. uh, he, he's not the kind of guy that can create right. his own offense any longer and he's uh, had his time that's right i think there's offensive line and coaching issues too but the dinkin and duncan i think it's a trifecta of the things because we got some good tools and um i'm just going to use this the fact that we're here at home to go total homer on the recording <laughs> jamie do you have anything to add <laughs> i've talked a lot uh not on the, the one question i had and i kind of yeah, mentioned this before we started recording is that i'll I'd say like seven to nine of us in the league don't have like really any interactions with Sumner outside, okay. <laughs> outside of draft night. And yeah, he's like a meme to us. We've kind of speculated, like obviously he had some interest in joining the league this year. Next year, if anybody drops out, I think he'd be one of the first replacements we'd look at. But there's also been talks of expanding potentially to fourteen teams, like Premier League style, having tiered. You know, you work your way up to the dad bod level or even just adding two more teams we've talked oh about yeah you can do a 14 from, team league yeah we have 12 now possibly going to 14 um right. but for those of us that don't really have sumner and we're going to talk to him and he'll have a chance to kind of explain himself but what draws could, him to the culture if you could give us like a blunt assessment of sumner as we kind of consider expansion or not i think that <laughs> for, for those of us that really haven't interacted with him in any setting yeah no i i think uh as we said earlier, uh, him uh, being named a chief resident is a big deal because uh, people are polled. Um, we all get our input um, as to who are our top candidates. We love and, polls in the dad bots. Yeah, like, it's a so, piece of the thing. Uh, we have so many polls. So I, I, but I think at, at the end of the day, that's a, um, a marker that um, this is a really good guy um, and uh, would be a, uh, a gem to have in the league. And the fact that he's committed this far to, to doing it, I, I think you have already have a, a fan. Um, so I think uh, he's definitely league material. Right. Well, it's a high bar. It's a high bar. A high bar. Was he going to get, because Caleb was having this silly chat, chatter about dropping out. Is that the spot? Which spot? Uh, that Sumner was possibly going to get this year. Oh, yeah. Is Caleb yeah. this year? Drew's kind of on the fence for next year. Yeah, because he's going like to train to be a, a physician's assistant. You guys we, are sounding like you got a waiting list. No, it sounds like that. <laughs> well, we're talking about up in the buy, and it's only $20. Like, maybe up it to $100 because you do win each other's money. But it really is about the culture. And uh, there's a great segue in there to punting to Sumner's interview, which is that Unless uh, one of us wants to go fall in a well or does, we might have to expand the league because we've talked to uh, a preeminent authority on New York Giants football, University of Virginia Medical School, and the rigors of residency, and uh, a titan in the field of infectious diseases and AIDS. So the gauntlet's been thrown down uh, for the dad bod league to make some meaning out of the fact that uh, we have this shadow member, shadow commissioner. Take us out. 
That's that's a good point. Um, and yeah, I guess just one last question. Yes, please. In because you talked about needing an outlet, and like thinking of that specifically from yeah the medical side of things and the extreme stress and pressure that's that's put on you in that situation. Just if you have any any advice for the league of things that we should aim for as we go into 2019. And any prescriptions for the physiology, kind of the epidemiology yes. of a dad bod? Like what what's the what's the cure? <laughs> I, I think you need sponsors. I think you need uh, <laughs> I think you need a beer. Yeah. Uh, official beer. I think uh, personally my vote would be uh, to approach Reason Beer and uh, ah. give them your uh, uh, in-town That's uh, right. T-shirts. Uh, beer. Merch. Merch. That's the, we can only, we need to go up somewhere. League logo. We haven't talked about Absolutely. merch. All right. Well, uh, this has been uh, an interview uh, for episode bleep um, that is going to, uh, now we'll toss it over to you, Jamie, with Sumner. Sumner.